Today on Empowering Workplaces, we are going to be talking about a specific way that leaders can show their commitment to fostering a positive company culture. Our special guest today is Dr. Misha Ann Martin, Senior Director of People Analytics and Research at WorkHuman. Join us for this awesome conversation. Welcome to Empowering Workplaces, a show for everyone who wants to make work better and more fulfilling. We are your hosts, culture designer Maddie Grant and organizational psychologist Sonia Lucina. Join us in today's awesome conversation. Hi, Misha Ann. It's so nice to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Um, as Thank always, uh, would love for you to share a bit about your background, who you are, and um, maybe even what our topic of today is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So let's see. My background, I'm an industrial organizational psychologist specializing in how people experience work and also people analytics. I like to say I'm fanatically passionate about how people experience work. I think work is a central part of a life well lived. And so my personal mission yeah. is to help make work a positive experience for everyone using data and analytics for accountability, but also for insight and evidence-based practices to make work better. I think the most important thing to know about me is that I'm an immigrant and I came to the United States to go to undergrad and quickly realized, Maddie, that I was black. And so that colored my whole uh, school experience and undergrad and grad school and further my career. So I'm always looking to see what are the experiences of different types of people and how we can make for the most inclusive spaces and great work experiences for everyone, no matter who you are. Well, I love that. And I feel that because I'm also an immigrant. Um, I actually, un unlike you though, I was, I came over as a baby. Okay. So I was born in Thailand, but I definitely have the same passion and, you know, definitely agree with you on, on all of that. Um, so as our listeners know, we always love to dig into data here. And I know as a people analytics person, you're super into that, so which is great. So um, you sent us some data points, which I think would make a really great you know, kickoff to the conversation. The first one is about um, DE&I, so diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and the data point is when asked how DEI teams or initiatives are prioritized in the organization, 76.36% of managers said it was high or somewhat of a priority, while less than half, 45.74% of employees shared the same sentiment. So talk to us a little bit about this data point. Like, what does it mean that, you know, managers think we're, prioritizing this and employees don't really. Yeah. So um, a couple of things here. First of all, 76% of managers. I just want to start out with saying that should be 100%. I'm not satisfied with 76%, mm -hmm. even if employees were also at 76%. Now let's get to the, the difference between what managers feel and what employees feel. So that number for employees is only around 46%. And what that suggests to me is the divide between what leaders and organizations think they're doing and what employees are feeling. And so to me, this signals a disconnect between 
people and their leaders, but also people and the organization. I say all the time when people are putting into practice these diversity strategies, which are great in intent, make sure that when you're doing for people, you're consulting the people that you're trying to help, right? And I see that that divide a lot. People in power have all these ideas, but they never ask the people that they're trying to impact and they're not doing enough to get feedback around how things are landing either. You know, it's so funny you mentioned that because I just read this, um, I guess it's a parable, just mm-hmm. a story, a metaphor, uh, just yesterday, that is exactly what you're talking about. So the story is that um, somebody is walking along a, a dirt road and they see a turtle mm-hmm. and they they feel so bad for the turtle, you know, that's walking along this road. And so they pick up the turtle and they put the turtle back in the ocean, which is obviously nearby <laughs> in this mm-hmm. story. Um, and they, you know, talk to their colleague. They mention this to their colleague and the colleague says, you know, that turtle probably walked you know, for hours and hours and hours and hours to get to some mud to lay their eggs far away from the ocean. And you just set them back, you know, all of this work. And (laughs) so like the moral of the story is like, ask the people, (laughs) like talk to the people that you serve, you know, before you take on these these ideas or these projects. Yeah. And it makes me think of a concept called ethnocentrism, where you're judging, you know, one culture based on the lens of your own. And I think that there are parallels to the organization as well. You know, so often we're we're doing what we think people should want or what we think they need. And we never bother to take a step back and really perspective take, right? Which, mm-hmm. which involves the listening piece but also the asking piece, I mean, but also the listening and hearing piece. Right, right, exactly. Um, so, I, so I'm a culture consultant and we have a culture assessment and in the aggregate data from that assessment, we um, see what we call culture patterns mm-hmm. and um, we don't measure uh, DE&I specifically. It's, it's sort of embedded mm-hmm. in a whole bunch of different questions. But one of the patterns that we often recognize is um, sort of like walking the walk or talking the talk, but not walking the walk, which is a similar thing to what you're talking about, right? Where maybe um, this in this particular example is in the case of innovation, where we companies score really high on the concepts of innovation, mm-hmm. creativity, ideas, um, you know, learning, all that kind of stuff but very, they score much lower on the practices of innovation, which is, can your people experiment? Can they take risks? You know, these kinds of like actual practices. Um, And what you're talking about here sounds like a similar kind of pattern, right? Where Mm -hmm. maybe, or I guess my question to you is, do you, does, is it possible that this pattern's also in the data that you're sharing where maybe managers like to talk about DEI, yeah. but maybe there it's not even really reflected in how they're acting, resulting yeah, I, in how people, how employees are feeling and that disconnect. That's right. I think there are a couple of things at play here. So the first thing I want to say is I listened to that podcast about your culture assessment 
phenomenal. I was very, oh, thank you. Yeah, I was very, very intrigued and impressed. But yes, I, I agree with you on the disconnect between what you're saying and what you're doing. And I feel like at the organization level, we saw this a lot after the George Floyd murder where yeah. organizations knew that this commitment was the right thing, but they didn't have the muscle or I dare say the, the motivation to actually do the work to make it a reality. And then on the individual level, you know, we know how humans are. We can have the best of intentions, but we we have default behaviors that we fall back to when things are comfortable. And so if we're not constantly, you know, doing the interrogation of our own behaviors and making the work to make inclusive behaviors a habit, we fall back to what we know. And I think this is where um, people analytics is so important because sometimes this disconnect becomes hidden or sometimes these experiences of, you know, marginalized groups are not visible to the broader organization. And so using analytics in a thoughtful way can help surface that and go, hey, we really need to take the the steps to make these behaviors part of our culture so that people can really feel what we're intending. So, of course, agree with you 100%. But can you talk a little bit more about the people analytics side? Because I think that's really, really fascinating. Yeah. And I know from a like business discourse perspective, like mm-hmm. we know the good reasons to have, you know, diversity. Yes. <laughs> and those initiatives. So it's it's like a no-brainer, but at the same time what you're saying is that there's still sort of hidden patterns, yes. hidden data, right? In in our workforce. Yes. Um, that can give, you know, more specifics. That's right. That's not just these kind of lofty, like we know it's a good thing and we should do right. it. Right. Can you share some examples or talk a little yeah. bit more about, about that? Absolutely. So I talk a lot about being an organizational detective. Um, very oh, often, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> you've got to root out bias where it lives, you know, and it's not always easy to see if you're not experiencing it. And so we have to get really creative. So I talk about um, using passive data sources, sources you wouldn't think of and using techniques you wouldn't think of. So to give a specific example, I work for WorkHuman and we have recognition software. Now, you wouldn't necessarily think about using that data and looking at it for equity and inclusion. But with something like that, what you can do and what we do is look at are people you know, having a different recognition experience. Yes. What we find is that Black and Hispanic men are the least likely to give and receive recognition, even when everybody around them is doing it. And it has a disproportionate impact on how they experience the rest of their lives. We find differences in language. So we find that even when people have the same roles, uh, the accomplishments of men and women are described differently. Textio is doing some great research in this space in performance reviews. Um, I have a colleague who did similar research at Wayfair. These biases creep into our everyday practices and then have impact on outcomes like promotion, you know, whether or not you're considered a high potential or a successor. So we really need to get creative in how we're looking at our organizational data and examine it, 
examining it for bias. Wow, that's so interesting. I'm like, my mind is going in a bunch <laughs> of different ways. Like, and I think what's interesting about it, and I mean, we know those of us who care about this topic sort of know about unconscious bias, right? Like we know that it exists, mm -hmm. but I think knowing that sort of theoretically and seeing it, recognizing it in our employees' data mm -hmm. and behavior, and and then you know, next step is in ourselves, right? Like how mm -hmm. how are we acting in a in a biased way? Mm -hmm. um, it's just so powerful, but it seems. I mean, your example about recognition software. I just I find that so interesting because it's not necessarily what it's for, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so that's the point. You have to interrogate everything, everything. So do you like? So where would you start? I mean, is I think hiring is a big topic where you, you know the these things are kind of surfaced. Mm -hmm. Is that a good place to start? Well, I would actually start even before hiring. So who is your organization attractive to and why? Is it equally attractive to different types of people? Are you getting um, interest from different kinds of applicants? And okay. then once you look at that, what are your processes? I recommend breaking down every step of your recruiting and hiring practice and examining those steps for bias. I remember earlier in my career, I was responsible for pre-hire assessments. And those of us in this space know that cognitive ability assessments are notoriously biased. So solve for that in that organization, manage to root that out. Then lo and behold, we were still having issues in terms of you know, differences in hiring for different types of people. When we worked our way backwards, the issue was with the recruiter interview. And so what we needed to do was to implement a structured interview because our recruiters were saying things like, oh, I just I just know when somebody's going to be great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's the, uh, the classic hiring for culture fit. That's right. Right. Which is like, sounds like such a good thing, but it's not. It's not. <laughs> Don't get me started on being professional, executive presence. There's nothing wrong with any of these things, but we need to make sure that we're objective in terms of what do we mean by those things and how are we measuring by those things? Because otherwise we're just saying this thing that is, inviting bias into our processes because there's not a clear way to evaluate for it or to say whether or not somebody has it. Yeah, I mean, from our perspective as as culture people, we look at this through the lens of um, the language that you use to describe your culture. So like speaking in, in the hiring, you know, metaphor, so to mm -hmm. speak, um, there's lots of cliches and just really vague language about what it's like to work somewhere yeah. right so our what we're trying to do with our culture assessment specifically but just in all of our work is get people to really have like granular really descriptive yeah. language around what their culture actually actually is like how do people collaborate how information is shared mm -hmm. you know all of these different things um and but through that 
is to get to what you're talking about, which is the ability to actually measure against those things. That's right. Right. So that the culture fit part becomes like very clear and open. And maybe, maybe you have to let some people go eventually because mm-hmm. they don't fit the culture that you, you want to be. That's but right. those people are clear about why they're no longer fitting. If it's a culture, we work with a lot of groups that are yes. in transition, right? Yes. Changing. So bias lives and thrives in the absence of objectivity. Ooh, that's a quote right there. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that because that that just makes me feel really good about this this work because I really feel like the the ability to have you know really strong language yes. strong strong meaning powerful and descriptive and yes. specific yes. language like it helps with these things because otherwise it's all vague right that's it's right. all that's where like the the danger lies I think a lot and, of the time and you can extrapolate that to performance reviews right like what does it take to be great in this role? What do we mean when we say you're top talent? What behaviors do those people have to demonstrate? A successor for this role needs what and for why. <laughs> so yeah, the more we can get objective, the the less of a chance bias has to live and breathe. So in uh, one of your data points, um, this one is specific to recruiting. Um, we had a similar... Uh, conundrum, which is where um, when asked if the organization does a great job of prioritizing DEI in hiring and recruiting, 83.23% of managers said yes, while only 64.16% of employees said the same. Mm-hmm. So going, tying that to what we were just talking about, does that mean that the potential clarity in the processes that are put in place to help with this are just not known to some percentage of employees, maybe? I mean, I think that that is a possibility. I also, what I tend to see in practice is (laughs) for leaders and organizations to take a bit of a cop out, right? And this is, this is a bit of a, a controversial opinion, but I love those (laughs) (laughs) conversation with, with someone the other day. And, you know, there's so many different aspects of diversity. You can have diversity by national origin, diversity by race, ethnicity, gender, um, neurodiversity. And I think it is a very human tendency to go, Hey, we're doing well at diversity. Look like our company is 50, 50. Mm-hmm. And what happens is when organizations declare victory, but they're not doing well at the aspect of diversity that's most salient to you, it's very easy for that gap to occur because you're going, but wait a minute, what about, you know, insert um, aspect of diversity here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's back to your original point around the whole um george floyd situation and all of the things that happened at that time with companies you know putting out statements and all of that there's i think there's still a general feeling of um maybe lip service oh yeah this you know oh yes so and 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 you know i 
I don't want to cut you off, but I do because it's yeah, not, it. <laughs> not just a feeling. There was a, I believe it was in the New York Times, so don't quote me on that. But there is an article circulating around how diversity departments have been disproportionately affected during these rounds of layoffs. So it's not a feeling. <laughs> it is oh. actual reality. Yeah, I'm not surprised by that at all. Right? I'm not either. I'm disappointed, but I'm not surprised. Yeah. Yeah, there's actually another. I, I wish I had it to hand, but there's a, a website that lists all the companies that have put out statements. Yes. And then it compares what they say to what their actual practices are. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought that was just a really awesome way to call people out to or call companies out for. Yeah. Know. Or as Dr. Bernice King says, you know, call them in, right? Hold them to account, right? Because yes. this is accountability is such an important part of this work um, because, you know, we get distracted, right? Like, it's, it's a tough economic environment right now. Maybe we're off doing a, I don't know, right? This is the kindest way I can think of to phrase this. But if we are, we are publicly holding these companies to account, things start to happen. So yeah, I would, I would love that resource. Yeah, I'll have to, I'll dig that up and I'll definitely put it in the notes to the, yeah. the episode because it's really, really cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so the third uh, data point, that you sent us was about um, the stated value and priority of the organization. So again, mm -hmm. similarly, um, the majority of managers agreed that diversity is a stated value mm -hmm. um, compared to only 70% of employees. Um, I think this one is closer in percentage, which maybe is some good news. Um, but do you, do you see or how important do you think diversity as a, a core value, a cultural value, um, how important do you think that is for people nowadays um, as maybe as they're looking for a job? Yeah. So I think, not I think, I know what we're seeing in the data is that diversity is important um, even to white people, right? Mm -hmm. There are more white men, this is so hopeful, that are now um, allies and saying, hey, diversity is important to me. And what my company is doing with diversity is an important thing to my engagement and to um, whether or not I want to join another company. So I would say that the answer to that is a resounding yes. There are more people, I think, now more than ever, who are considering this important. Another thing that I would point out with this data is that, you know, the power structure in organizations is typically that managers are less diverse compared to the employee base, right? So that's another reason why I think that there, there are these differences in numbers. So you have employees who tend to have more aspects of at least visible diversity anyway. And they're saying, yeah, not so much. Like I'm calling a little bit of BS on this, right? Yeah. <laughs> Where maybe if you have less of those elements of diversity, you're like, yeah, everything's fine. So um, tell me a little more about what what you do at Work Human, um, specifically in you know in relation to this topic. Are, are there any um, particular initiatives or projects or you know cool things to that you'd want to share? Absolutely. So it's interesting, you know, in, in the beginning of my career, I was always doing 
um, people analytics with a diversity lens. And I still do that at Work Human today using recognition data, but also linking um, inclusive recognition programs to business outcomes. So for example, for one client, we found a, a couple of times over two different years, you know, as researchers, we love replicability, right? We found for this client that for hospitals in their system that had inclusive recognition programs, which means that, you know, people um, with different aspects of diversity were getting recognized, they actually had higher patient satisfaction scores. So we found that a couple of times. So that's an example wow. of, the, of the type of work we're doing. And in terms of initiatives, uh, we've rolled out this feature called the Inclusion Advisor. And the natural language processing part of our analytics team has come up with this uh, taxonomy of microaggressions and other negative language, and it took them years. And so for our clients who are using this, when people type a recognition message, if they choose to use that Inclusion Advisor, it will highlight phrases that are potentially problematic and tell them why. So for example, one of the things we're seeing for women is something that we call faint praise. It looked like you, it seems like you grasped that concept really well. Well, did I or did not? <laughs> you can say that like with more confidence so I feel better about what you're trying to say. Um, and the other part of that feature that I like is that some of our clients are also using inclusion reflections as part of that experience. So giving people nudges on things like, hey, this seems to be a group recognition, like you're recognizing a group of people. Did you leave anybody out? Are you giving everybody the right contribution that is related to their contributions to this particular project? So we're seeing really great results of this nudging and micro-coaching. Our first client to roll this out, which was Merck, we actually were able to see a decrease in negative language over time. So we're really, really excited about that. So I love it. That's so cool. And it just makes my mind just race in terms of, um, you know, we like a, all of AI needs this. <laughs> basically. Right. You know, like chat GPT, you put in a prompt and it, you know, <laughs> it tells you. Um, but it also makes me think of um, an existing um, Gmail plugin and it's called mm -hmm. Just Not Sorry. Have you seen this? Um, and no. it's, it's, for, it's for an individual and you, you activate your little plugin and it basically underlines every time that you, you as a email writer, um, mm -hmm. apologize for, for something. And of course, women are constantly saying, yeah. sorry, but do you mind if, or, or we use the, the word just, I was mm -hmm. just checking just to see wanna... now. And it tells yeah. you every time when you do that yeah. and, and in terms of what's so powerful about this thing that I've been talking about for years and years is that it's like what you're talking about. It's a little nudge, but you see mm -hmm. this little nudge enough times, yeah. then you start to recognize it and you stop yeah. doing it, you know? And, um, yes. and as a, a woman, you know, when I was starting out, I had a consulting firm, mm -hmm. um, gosh, like 15 years ago. Um, and I was pretty young and Asian. So I looked even younger. <laughs> I was. Wow. So that's when I found this thing. And I was, I just really used it a lot because I, I was like, I want my clients to think that, to know that I am capable, you know, of providing the oh. advice that I say I am, 
even though yeah. I might look like I'm you know, 15 yeah. years old. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's, it's really cool. And I just, I love that concept of nudging. And I think, I mean, I think we have collectively a lot of work to do to build in some of these kinds of tools into AI and all of the new things that are coming down the pike so that it becomes much more second nature. Um, Yeah, I think nudges are the next frontier of turning um, inclusive intentions into actual inclusive actions. Like we did this weird and wrong thing, in my opinion, where, you know, we made the racist, the big bad wolf, instead of saying, you know, cognitive shortcuts are part of the human existence and we just need to be aware So we created this situation where nobody wants to be the racist, right? And so nobody wants to confront that in themselves. And obviously, and I'm I'm exaggerating, some people are doing the work, right? But um, But yeah, it's hard work to do that. It is hard. It is hard. So I like this idea of in a safe space, you know, um, a machine saying to you, hey, that may not be, you know, and then giving you the opportunity to improve, right? It takes the yeah. shame out of it and you can just be your best self. Yeah, I love that. So for everybody, I, I realize we're close to time. So for everybody who doesn't have access to this kind of tool, like what's a what's a good first step to, to really pay more attention to this kind of stuff, like maybe from the manager's perspective and then also from yeah. the employee's perspective. You know what? I I don't work for Textio. I have no relationship to, <laughs> to Textio, but I recommend that people Google that report about biases in, in performance management. And from a manager perspective, now you can start to be aware of how this can perpetuate and how you evaluate the people that report to you and how you talk about talent in your organization. For individuals, being armed with that knowledge, I think allows you to advocate and empower for, and, and, and gives you some empowerment around your own career. So for example, you know, if you're a woman and you're getting told you're not confident enough, what exactly does that mean? And can you give me an example of a time when I was not confident and how that had a negative impact on my performance, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, arming ourselves with the data and the research can give us clear advantages in terms of whether you're a manager trying to do better for other people or you're an individual trying to do better for yourself. Well, I love that, Misha Ann. This was such a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. And um, in case anybody noticed, poor Sonia was not here today with us. Uh, She's at a conference today, but she's going to be just so sad to have missed this great conversation. (laughs) Um, And of course, we miss her, um, but we will see her next time. And thank you again. And thank you to all our listeners. And we will see you again on the next podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It was my pleasure. Your culture has changed since 2020. It's time for a culture assessment. Our WorkXO assessment measures eight culture markers that are super relevant to your ability to navigate constant change. Things like agility, transparency, collaboration, and inclusion. And it tells you whether you have the archetypal culture patterns that might be holding you back. In just a 15-minute email survey, you'll learn actionable insights to help you thrive in today's environment. Get yours today. Learn more at propelnow.co.